Welcome to the Laravel Podcast. My name is Sean McCool, and I'm here with Jeffrey Way and Taylor Otwell. Thanks for coming again, guys. Yep. Thanks. So I guess just to kind of jump right in, right now we're participating in a long Twitter conversation about annotations in PHP, and Laravel 5, I know, is kind of bringing in some annotation stuff. Taylor, do you want to introduce that to us? Sure. So annotations... uh they are supported in Laravel 5. I don't want to say they're required in Laravel 5, but for a couple of features, you can use uh, doc block annotations, namely for routing and assigning, you know, uh, paths to routes or resources or um, middlewares to routes. And you can also use them to mark things as listening to a given event. So you can add an annotation that's like at sign, here's, and then the event name, and it will generate an events file that has the plain PHP event listen code for you. In the same way with routes, it doesn't, the routing engine doesn't know anything about annotations. The, the, there's just a console command that generates a routing file, a plain PHP routing file from your annotations. Um, so yeah, that's the two uh, annotation features in Laravel 5. A tad bit controversial today on Twitter. Apparently so. Um, so I guess a lot of the, the fight about annotations in PHP comes from the fact that they're implemented through doc blocks. Jeffrey, right. uh, you know how that works by chance? Just at a very basic level, if you don't know what annotation means, it's like if you've, if you've ever seen those comments above methods that'll say an app symbol, like if you decide, if you define your parameters and that way it helps out your IDE, this is very similar to that. But these are custom things that, in this case, Laravel could hook, hook into. So if above your method you wrote, like, at simple get, well, after you ran a artisan command, that would translate over to something like router get, and that would actually create the, um, or that would register the method for you. So when you, when you take this approach, for example, if you didn't want to, you would never even need to worry about a routes.php file. That would just be done automatically for you. Um, and the same would be true for like events. So if you always manually create your events, well, you could also just create like a little at symbol here's annotation above your method. And then once again, after you run an artisan command, that will automatically build up the, the necessary syntax for you. So really it can save you a huge amount of time, but people, people disagree. I, I think it almost splits down right the middle on whether people like annotations or hate them. Uh, I think the most important thing to understand is like, it's completely optional. If you really hate it, then don't worry about it. You never need to touch these. Or if you do like them, then I, I think it'll save you a lot of time. Yeah, technically they're implemented. I mean, the PHP Reflection API has a method on the both the Reflection class and Reflection method instances has a get.comment method, which will give you the comment above either a class or a method. And... You, there's a package on, on packages called Doctrine Annotations, which is very, um, it's kind of a light package. It's not really tied to Doctrine ORM or anything like that. But I, w I would say it's not like there's a PSR standard for annotations, but the Doctrine Annotations are kind of the de facto standard for annotations because they are used by Doctrine and then, of course, by Symphony. So uh, that's what's being used in Laravel to actually parse the annotations. So they have the same syntax and features as Doctrine ORM annotations. So I guess the questions are, what are the objective negatives to PHP annotations? So I guess the first thing 
that I can come up with is that technically they are a type of comment and they are indistinguishable from comments. If you don't know that uh, two asterisks starts a doc block and one asterisk doesn't, then you maybe don't even know the difference between, you know, what's a parsable doc block using PHP reflection or not. And so I can see that this is an objective negative, the fact that, you know, indeed, these configurations are indistinguishable from comments for, you know, many users, right? Right, yeah. Pretty much they look they look just like comments, yeah, exactly. So in the PHP implementation of annotations, what are there, what other, uh, specific to PHP annotations, what other objective negatives do you see? Um, one, one negative that a person has brought up on Twitter that, um, I guess you could say is a, a valid negative at the current point in time is that you, you might not get syntax checking on an annotation. Now, to me, that's, I don't know if that's, that doesn't have to always be a negative. Like that could eventually be supported by an IDE and may even be supported by some IDE I don't know about. But, um, it's, that's about the only, like, real technical objection I've seen. Have you yeah, seen any valid. others? But then, of course, like, as soon as your, your scanner commands ran, you would immediately find out that something went wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's valid, but and, it's like, and, all right, go ahead. And also, like, Say you in your routes file, the way Laravel routes are set up where you say router get URI and then you pass an array with a before key, it's not like your IDE was checking that array syntax either. You know what I mean? Like it didn't know like, oh, you you forgot this key, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so, I mean, in the same, you didn't really have that kind, that level of syntax checking anyway. But yeah, I guess right. it's, it's, the, it's the system most system valid array. criticism I've seen. Um, you know, besides just I don't like them. So, so in in reality, right? Annotations are not behavior. They they are only configuration. Annotations add nothing to the class other than what another system could analyze out of that class, right? So, um, with Laravel and uh, the the option for annotated routes, you basically just create a controller, throw a couple uh, annotations in there and run a artisan command and it just works just like that, right? And then if you want to see your table of contents, your routing table of contents, you run an artisan command, you get to see it uh, all nice like. But also there's a scanned routes file that you could refer to as and, well. Yeah, right. So you can look at actually what it creates if that's helpful right. for debugging. So it's not like when you it's not like when you run a page, it's it's parsing all of it's it's parsing that controller on the fly. It's not. You're doing a command, it creates a cached like I think it's called routes.scans.php or something like that. And then behind the scenes, Laravel will just check to see if that file exists. And if it does, it just pulls in those routes. Right. But so it's not doing any parsing on the fly, of course. Now, a natural negative to using annotations in a controller means that that controller class is now tied to those route configuration, right? But I mean, is it the worst thing in the world that your controller and your framework are, are kind of closely linked? I mean, I just... Oh. Uh, that's that's not even the problem I see. I don't. Um, I think that, that I think the way it works is great, and I'm I'm personally going to go full on annotated routes because that's why I like doing it in other languages as well. Um, but I think that if you need for some reason to have a dynamic routing system, a system that does it at runtime, then annotations are not the right solution at all, right? Yeah, right. Because that's basically impossible. Right. An impossible use case. I actually think the annotations it, going. I know this is not exactly what you're talking about, but on the decoupling from your framework uh, 
comment, Jeffrey. I feel like the annotations are almost more decoupled because that's a common parser library. That's not a Laravel parser. And you could write a parser that generates a route file in the symphony format for those same annotations. You see what I mean? Like you're not, I, I would say you're less tied to a framework using the annotations than you are actually hard coding the Laravel route syntax in a routes file. In reality, don't you think it's almost the exact same thing though? Because you can always come up with a new router object that takes yeah. the Laravel uh, for, um, formatting or, you know what I'm saying? The API. Yeah. And, and maps it to something else. So it's, it's almost to me identical, but there's a whole other subsystem on top of it. Yeah. I think they're beautiful. Um, so now, um, <laughs> what do you think about annotations in non-PHP languages? Well, my only other experience with um, that type of language feature would be in C Sharp, and they, they're called attributes. But, I mean, those are actually recommended and used and especially like ASP.NET MVC for various things like you can use them um, for filters just like we have annotations for middleware and Laravel you can use attributes for kind of the same concept in .NET MVC right so Taylor like before you switched over to PHP you did a lot of C sharp work right yeah and that's the interesting thing about Laravel is before I ever released even the first version of Laravel routing worked via annotations now, it didn't work via doctrine annotations because um, that I don't think that was a separate package at the time, uh, but it worked through, like, my own little annotation parser. But the feedback in the CodeIgniter community towards annotations was so negative at the time, and almost like in a cargo cult way, like, I've heard annotations are bad, therefore I'm going to keep repeating they're bad every time that they come up. That exactly. I thought that I thought that the reception to Laravel would be, like, really a lot poorer if they had annotations, so I ripped them out and had and came up with the um, other syntax. So, yeah, annotations were the original routing mechanism in Laravel pre-Laravel 1. Just they were pulled out because I didn't think the framework would be well-received at the time. So it's like a cultural thing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I feel like it is kind of a cargo cult mentality in terms of hating annotations. Um but whatever. I'm looking through like a few of these articles right now, what people have or issues they have. Like this one, I don't know, maybe valid, but like this guy's talking about how it separates concerns and encapsulation. Here, I'll, I'll read this quote. Further to that, they break polymorphism entirely. Let's say I have a controller which uses annotations for its route. In OOP, I should be able to substitute this class with a child class or any other class which has that interface. Which has that interface. But if you use annotations, you can no longer do that. So, like, maybe that's valid, but I don't know. I'm not sure I don't think that to. is valid because, for example, if you're using Doctrine, you can use a map uh, superclass, and that has annotations in it, and your subclasses have annotations in it, right? Yeah, I don't follow that. I don't follow what he's getting at there. Like, I need to, I'm curious to know, like, a specific example of that. Zach, uh, Zach Kitzmiller is talking about how reflection is very slow, and right. I think that's why we're, it's not, it's used as like a, it's an interpreted thing. It's not a runtime thing. Right. Yeah. I would agree that if we're reflecting every controller and every route at, on every request, that would be a performance thing. But since we're using annotation strictly to, um, you know, generate a plain PHP file, that's kind of a different, a whole different take. And the same way with Doctrine, you know, um, it caches off all that annotation stuff, at least in when you're running it in like a production configuration. It's not like it's parsing all that metadata on every uh, every page load. Okay. Well, I don't know what more can be said about this, honestly. 
what, yeah, what we'll never, we'll never that, satisfy. But even other than like talking about the the technicalities of it, it's just really cool. Like I was playing with it this morning. Let's say you want to set up an event listener for like, okay, user has logged in. You want to listen for when that happens and then like fire off an email or something. All you have to do with this is just create the class wherever you want. And then whatever method you choose, you can name it anything you want. Handle, update, whatever. You just add a little here's annotation above it and you're done. Like there's literally nothing else you have to do other than running the commands. But presumably you'd have some kind of gulp task that would automatically do that stuff for you. So like, I mean, that is ridiculously simple rather than having to like go back to a service provider and register a new binding and all of that stuff. You don't have to do any of this now. So I like it a lot. Yeah. For me, it's nice to have what events this method responds to right there on the method so that I can just see everything right there. And the same way with a controller, you know, I can see what URI or what middleware is this is being attached to this method right there in the code without basically in that single file. So to me, that's kind of nice. I think um, there's room for abuse for, for all things. And you just kind of have to decide, well, you know, how can you use it? Well, how can you use it in a way that fits? And also, I think we have to remember that not everybody writes their applications in the same way. For example, uh, I think PHP 7, I think they approved the no coalesce operator, which for me, I see as like no real value because I write a lot of object-oriented code and that's all, all I really do. All my PHP is, um, you know, object-oriented. And as I become a better, you know, object-oriented developer, it, it becomes more so. Uh, but, I think that, you know, it's possible that just throwing a bunch of stuff everywhere in your classes and then scanning them and caching them off may have de definite negatives for um, people to understand your application or something, but you just have to use it uh, in a way that fits your situation. Yeah, and the nice thing is it's all it's all pretty much optional, so people can kind of take it or leave it. Right, with no additional overhead if you don't want to use it. Right. It's not like it's slowing down people who don't use it, so that's kind of nice. So you mentioned middlewares. Could, and, and I haven't really even looked at looked at this yet. I, I saw that in the Laravel dev channel you were talking about it a little bit, but I haven't really gotten into it. Can you uh, explain a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so the uh, Laravel 4 already used this concept of middlewares, and there's a, there's a project by um, Igor and Bo um, called StackPHP, that focuses heavily on these reusable middlewares. And to me, middlewares are a little easier to understand with a whiteboard, but basically think of like an onion or like a Russian doll where you have like these layers in this HTTP request cycle and a, a request comes in from the internet and it's, you know, it's past the PHP and then blah, blah, blah. And that request can be passed through multiple middlewares. And these middlewares are just kind of like, basically analogous to filters in Laravel 4 where you could have an authentication middleware, which is like, let's just picture it as the outer layer of the onion, so to speak, that all requests enter into first. And we can say if this person is logged in via the session or whatever, let them pass through the onion to the next layer. Or we'll return a response that says, hey, you're not allowed to view this page, and we'll never hit any of the deeper layers of the onion. And... This is implemented in Laravel 5 and kind of like, um, well, like I said, it was always in Laravel 4, but we're kind of making it more emphasized in Laravel 5, I guess you could say. 
like route filters still are around and still have the same API because I don't want to just break everyone's filters and their existing application. But I think documentation wise and just community wise, I hope we'll start to emphasize these fil- the middlewares more because um, one advantage to the middlewares is every middleware has the same method signature. It just receives um, there's just one handle method and it receives the request and then a callback called next and you call next to pass the request to the next layer or to the next middleware or to the application or whatever. You don't really have to concern yourself with that. So to basically write a middleware that logs all requests, you would call next and then pass it the request, and then that would hand you back the response, and then you could log whatever you wanted about the response, and then you return the response back. So um, it's also... The idea is also kind of um, based on the upcoming PSR7 um, uh, HTTP message interface specification thing so that if PSR7 passes or when it passes, we'll have a, a defined HTTP message object that we can share across you know multiple frameworks and libraries and whatever to be... Um, to be less framework specific in the HTTP request. And I feel like that's a really important PSR because we're all doing HTTP, you know, so it's, it's relevant to almost every, definitely every framework, but then also a lot of libraries too, um, like Guzzle and so forth. So if, if that passes, then we have a, a nice unified request object. And then combined with this middleware concept, you can share these middlewares across any of your projects, they wouldn't really be framework specific, which is kind of nice. So if I wanted to set up some kind of filter, now the recommended way would be to create a middleware? Right. All the all the filters in the default Laravel install have been converted to middlewares. Like there's a CSRF middleware, there's an auth middleware, and a basic auth middleware, and then a maintenance mode middleware. And the maintenance mode middleware is really the outer layer of the onion in a true Laravel application. That's the first point. We say, are we in maintenance mode? If so, we return back whatever maintenance page, you know, we'll be right back type of page we want. Otherwise, we'll keep we'll let the requests go deeper into the application. So what does the the upgrade process look like for this? If I want to bump up from Laravel 4 to 5, I saw Mm -hmm. that now controllers can just be like plain old PHP objects, which means I no longer have access to things like this before filter that I can do in my constructor. How does that work now? You can um, you can still extend a base controller if you when you're upgrading if you need that support. So like we'll still have that available, and there really will be all the filters work exactly the same. So there's no real upgrade concern there um, because all that stuff is still available. Mainly because I can't you know I can't break everyone's applications in that regard. Um, however, you know I think the idea is once you get on Laravel five, you know maybe consider switching them over if, if you want to or if you see the benefit because I think definitely going forward middlewares will kind of be like uh, the recommended or, or kind of the default way of writing that kind of mechanism. So it sounds like Laravel 5 is changing more and more as the days go by. Are you getting close to like a feature freeze or anything like that? Yeah, I think we're pretty close. Um, my to-do list is getting a lot shorter and um I think, you know, obviously Symphony uh, 2.6 will be coming out in November, so we are getting, just time-wise, we're getting close to that release point. 
Uh, we do have a few, we have a few tangential, or I don't know what, how to pronounce that word, but we have a few things related to Laravel, um, that are not Laravel core things, but they are kind of like tools, um, that will be coming out soon as well, uh, that I think will be really cool. Uh, but as far as huge, like, Laravel features, I think just about everything's out there. Uh, I've also done quite a bit of work on the Pagination library. That's now a lot more, um, when I first wrote Pagination, it was like very heavily focused on how to generate links in your interface, your user interface, like how to, how to do that really easily. Um, but now, since people, a lot of people are building more API driven applications, like we needed to make the Paginator better accommodate that, that scenario. So the Paginator is now like a lot more uh, decoupled from the concept of like views and translations and stuff and more focused on just generating URLs, so to speak. And it still has the same features of being able to generate those links, but then you can also do some really nice API features like it gives you back um, an array of like the next URL, the previous URL, you know, how many items there are and so forth. So that I think that that components, you know, much improved for more like modern um, development, which seems to be very API focused. So that was a that's kind of an under the hood thing. Uh, there's also some new contracts that have come out recently, like we have a queue monitor contract that lets you register um, callbacks for when the queue is looping or when a job fails or when uh, a daemon queue is like totally stopping uh, and going down. So uh, that's another kind of nice feature. I'm also liking the new environment handling. So like before, yes. in terms of figuring out what the current environment would be, you'd have to go to this file and then reference some kind of host name. But that would get yeah. weird sometimes. So it seems like now you can just create a .env file. And it's it's not PHP anymore, is it? Are you using YAML there? Uh, I, I don't. It's more like a INI format, I guess. But um, uh, like the environment handling in Laravel 4.2 was really stupid. Like that was really dumb, and I, that's so much better in Laravel 5. Like I can't tell you how many questions I get about my environment variables aren't loading right, and that the whole idea was for some reason I had like vastly overcomplicated that whole concept to where you could have a dot env a dot env dot local dot php and then like a dot env dot production dot php and all of that was just like totally unnecessary like you only need one dot env file that's always get ignored and in that file you can put you know all caps app underscore env equals whatever and that should determine your environment and in the default implementation that's how environments work is just off that .env file and there's no more of that silly like host name checking and all that so that makes things so much nicer and more consistent that was just dumb that was just dumb in Laravel 4 it really was so that means locally like you'd have a, a .env file with all like your database password or whatever in that file right. that's get ignored and then on production you'd create that file again but use your production specific settings yeah, and what's really yeah, and what's really nice, we're using a library called PHP.env that's by Vance Lucas, and um, what's nice is one, two things. One, we ship a .env.example file so that you can you can just rename that to .env, but it kind of shows you like the format you're defining stuff in, which is really simple anyway. But then also, what's cool is where that's loaded, like in your Bootstrap environment file. Dot env that library has a method called dot env required and you can specify like uh, 
these environment variables are required or it will throw an exception. So you can say, like, I know that my application is not going to run unless I have these environment variables defined, like a database password or a database user, so that if you put out your application onto some server and you forget to make that file, then it's it's not going to run. It's just going to say, you know, what your environment variables, some required variables were not defined, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so that's kind of a nice new feature as well, because I've hit that several times where, oh, I forgot to define my mailgun key in my environment file, and things are blowing up. So that, right. that's kind of nice. I was talking to Lair, uh, Taylor about this earlier. Some people in, in the LayerCast forum are a little worried about version 5. They think it's getting more and more complicated. And li- like we were saying, this kind of happens every single time. But like it's a massive form thread, so it seems like it, a lot of people are feeling that way a little bit. Might be worth talking about. Is yeah. Laravel moving away from making things a little more complex? Is the uh, the entry level a little bit higher? Is that something you can even control at this point, or is it just indicative of the, the PHP community? I don't know. Well, see, to me, the way I look at it is Laravel 5 has, one of my goals has been to remove a lot of unnecessary complexity. So, like, just something as simple as the filters before filters and after filters have a different method signature before filters for routes have a different magnitude than those. So there's like, there's literally like three or four different method signatures just to define a filter, for example, and an app, a global after filter that return that might run after every request might only receive like a request and a response object. Whereas a filter that returns that executes before a route, you have to remember to define a route as the first first argument to the method, then request, then response. Right. So those are different things. So with the middleware you just have the one method signature. So that you there's no remembering how to define it. You just know the one way to define it. It's just a request and then the the next. So to me, that's conceptually simpler uh, because there's less things to remember. Uh, the same the same thing goes for controllers. Like your controllers are just a regular old PHP class. You can dip- dispatch an HTTP request to any class method, you know, period. And to me, that's simpler than extending like a special Laravel controller that has all this magical functionality under the hood that you're not aware of. And then, like we just talked about, the environment handling, it's just it's just massively simpler. So, And then as far as backwards compatibility goes, I, we haven't really broken any other backwards compatibility by adding support for annotations since those are totally optional. The middlewares is totally optional. The filters still work, although I would strongly encourage you to start using the middlewares. The filters do still work. So from an upgrade story standpoint, it's still like a, a pretty easy upgrade to at least get your application running on Laravel 5, and then you can move to these other features, you know, as you have time or, or money or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I I mean, I, like you said, we do go through this kind of like every release, like Laravel 4. Obviously, there was a lot of a lot of pushback that Laravel 4 was so much more complicated than Laravel 3, and we're kind of going through that again with Laravel 5. That it's um, even though Laravel 3 to 4 was a much huger jump. Um, in terms of architecture and stuff, but we're kind of going through that again. Yeah, I think Laravel 3 to 4 was kind of... It's like what we're dealing with now with 5 is nowhere even near in that league, in my mind. It's like I load up an old Laravel 3 app, and it's like 
one fourth the number of files or something like that. And um, everything really felt like, um, I don't know, like a natural extension to what was happening from Code Igniter to Fuel, you know, um, the, the frameworks at that time. And now Laravel 5, it seems to be developing a little bit uh, more in line with the symphonies and, and some of the other work done in the, you know, no framework space, for example, you know, the work that Igor and, and Bo have been doing and so not, not no framework isn't like rejecting frameworks, but just not specific to a framework. I think that, you know, Laravel is kind of keeping up with a lot of what's happening in the PHP community. And I think that the difference between five and four reflects a lot of that. I think it's very easy to uh, see that when, when we're talking about things like middleware is, which is a term that I'm personally not very familiar with, uh, it, it, it feels a little bit strange, but I think once we get into the documentation and once we start using it, it'll all become a little bit more uh, clear. I, I really do think that, Taylor, a lot of what you're doing, whether I don't know if you're doing this on purpose or not, I think a lot of what's happening is a lot of the implicit magic under the hood stuff is starting to be exposed more to the developer who's using it. So even though, you know, you're basically in a lot of ways doing the same things you were doing before, the system tells you a little bit more about how it's working and therefore, yeah. you know, tells you a little bit more about how to use it well. Yeah, and with with Laravel 4, you know, we had the middlewares under the hood, like you said, kind of tucked away. And it was kind of like Laravel 4 is already such a big jump from Laravel 3. Let's kind of like abstract this middleware thing back behind the scenes a little bit more because that's a little bit weird to swallow at first. But I feel like now that we've kind of got Laravel 4 and the community as a whole has kind of progressed um, in terms of what uh, we know and what we're capable of handling, that it's time to kind of say, okay, let's bring – Let's introduce these middleware things as like a first class citizen, basically, uh, to the to the community. I really don't. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be that rough of a of a, a switch from four to five. I think really what this comes down to is like people are trying to learn this stuff, and especially those who are just now switching over from CodeIgniter. It's like they're trying to catch up on all right, what is PSR? What is uh, Composer? So they're kind of getting comfortable with that. And now they're seeing with, with version 5, there's all these new terms that they've never heard of. So suddenly, like, they have to learn what middleware is. Suddenly, there's this method injection thing. Suddenly, the documentation doesn't show facades as much. Instead, we're, like, referencing interfaces within methods. So how's that? And then also, like, controllers will have namespaces now and the folder structure. So I think that's just their immediate gut reaction is, oh, everything's different. I just got done learning this, and now I have to start all over again. And the truth is that, like, it's it's not that different. There's a few things you'll need to learn, but you'll you'll be much better off than you are right now. I couldn't imagine going back to version four at this point. It's so much better in my mind. Yeah, and hopefully your code will be better. And if even if you don't understand things immediately, like I think hopefully it pushes it. We're pushing the community like a little bit further. Like we're nudging people. Like here's some more concepts you might want to be aware of as a professional developer. You know, we're kind of nudging yeah. the whole community mindset a little bit further. And I don't think it's not like we're we're I don't think we're overwhelming them, but we're giving them some nice new concepts to chew on for their own code. Also, I, I'm kind of observing a trend that, that it just kind of goes in cycles. Right. There's a lot of pushback to a lot of things. People start using it. People kind of bring these concepts into themselves and then everybody's happy. And then there's a lot of new concepts and there's pushback or hesitation. And 
I, I don't see it as a bad thing. I, I do I do acknowledge that you know the best possible design will communicate well to developers even who are new and everything. But with engineering, there's always trade-offs. You're always going to have to to balance that out and. It's not really that much to ask that somebody goes through, you know, a couple hours of um, playing with an idea to, to kind of master it when there's not really that many new ideas to have to master in the next version. So, Taylor, do you have a like a an overall vision for Laravel 5, what you want Laravel 5 to bring to developers? Yeah, I do kind of have a vision for it, and I'm trying to think of the best way to articulate this. But I think the vision for it is to be to appear much leaner than it has in the past so that and the plain PHP controllers is one aspect of that. Like I want my P, I want it to be much simpler and leaner to use and to guide people towards better software from the start. So but at the same time, I want it to still have a lot of the same leverage that PHP or that uh, that Laravel has had in the past. So. One of the middle grounds is um, the facades are very easy to use, and they still give you an aspect of testability to your app that you don't have with pure static methods uh, because they are just kind of like a, a syntax sugar on top of service location. But if we can have a concept that's really just as easy as facades, or then but that also guides you towards a better architecture, that would be ideal. And so that was kind of the driving force behind something like contracts, where you have this set of contracts that are very simple, and each of them might only have five or six methods, but they essentially correspond to the facades you were used to, so that I would really like to see someone make like a contract printout that has all of the Laravel contracts and all of their methods like on one color-coded piece of paper, and you could just laminate that and just like put it on your desk or whatever or your wall where you code because that's basically going to show you here's what Laravel can do for me in simple APIs. And at the same time, by making you declare explicit dependencies on those those contracts or those interfaces, where the code is going to be guiding you more. Kind of like you see, like um, Constantine, the PHP spec guy, talk about letting your uh, tests tell you things about your application. Like in Laravel 5, I think your code is going to tell you a lot more about what you're doing, so that if you have a class where all of a sudden you've piled up, like eight contracts in your constructor, it's a lot more obvious than if you had just snuck in eight facade calls to right. different facades. It's a lot more obvious up in that constructor that you're doing a lot of work in this class. So the code is still really easy to write, but I think it's it's sending you clearer messages in terms of the way you're building your application. And it's sending you it's very clear if it's sending you a message saying, hey, you might be doing something a little strange here because you are needing a lot of functionality in this one class. Or it's going to show you that, hey, this class is actually pretty simple and, and you know, is, a uh, you know, just has few responsibilities. So and much easier to test in the process. Right. Much people easier have, to test. Especially speaking of PHP spec, people would fall into that trap all the time. They're trying to use PHP spec to test a class, but the class references one of the facades, like the, the file yeah. facade, and then PHP mm-hmm. spec would blow up because it knows nothing about that. Now you yeah. will reference a contract 
So you're a little more explicit, but it's that much easier to test. And it's also that much easier to kind of look up documentation, like you were saying. Like before, let's use that file facade idea. If you wanted to figure out what methods were available and and you weren't like overly familiar with Laravel, then you would have to like you wouldn't be able to use your IDE to click through because that would reference the facade. So you'd find some some binding in the IOC container. Then you'd have to switch over to the the uh, file service provider, and then you would see oh there's a file system class there, and then you'd switch over there. Now you just type into the file system contract, and then if you do need to look up uh, what methods are available, you can click right through. And it's like perfect documentation there. So that'll actually save you a lot of time in the end. Also, it makes the boundaries a little bit more clear between your application and the framework. And then it makes it just that much easier to mock those boundaries. Right. Yep. Yeah. And Laravel is primarily, it's pr- primarily providing you infrastructure, so to speak, and to speak in kind of like a domain driven design kind of way. Like all that email sending and queue communication and um, S3 interaction through the file system and all that. That's all infrastructure service type stuff. And I, I think it's really nice to have a set of contracts that define what kind of infrastructure the framework is giving you. Just that's really explicit. So just in case any of us like me forgot, when will Laravel 5 be in like production ready? So Symphony, um, they have the six-month release cycle, which is coming around in November, but usually they're on, like, the tail end of that. So I think last year we had the release. It was into December because Symphony released really late into November, like the last few days. Um, so I would say realistically you're probably looking at early December, um, you know, a week or two after Symphony releases their stuff. Yeah, it's a lot. Most of the new features. Well, it's funny we didn't even cover a lot of the stuff that's new, but we've already talked about. Like, like the form requests are so cool. Method injection. Yeah. We've already talked yeah. about that stuff now. Hmm. Yeah, I can't think of any new features. So, what about you guys? Have you been personally working on any like programming type projects or studies or pursuits? I've been really nose down in Laravel 5. Um, I have been looking a little bit at some Node stuff uh, for something Jeffrey and I are working on. Um, oh, yeah, do you want to talk about that at all? Maybe not? Uh, yeah, we can go ahead and talk about that. Uh, we've been working on this little kind of, I'll just say, kind of a helper tool for Laravel. That it's, it's based on Gulp and does some kind of cool stuff, I think, that people really like. So that's kind of been driving me to look more into a node a little bit to understand how that's working. It's kind of a cool little uh, ecosystem there. So when I hear Gulp, I think um, you're building stuff, you're watching the file system for changes and reacting. That's that's what I think when I, when I when you say gulp. So if that's true, and I, I continue to extract from this the same way that all of the listeners are extracting, um, then what I'm thinking is that maybe having all these separate commands to update ca- caches of various types might not be as big of a negative as, for example, Jesse O'Brien is hinting in IRC right now. <laughs> right. I can exactly. see I can see how that would be a natural extraction, yes. <laughs> that would be you a very natural. You can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> nice. Okay. But no, that, but it is that, true. If you have these commands to, to like recompile your routes or rescan your routes and events, what if we could just do that automatically? And what if you didn't really need to know anything in order to make that happen in terms of gulp? What might that look like? Hmm. 
Well, I personally am very eager to hear more about that, and I'm not going to try to pull more out of you. I would say more, but that we just, uh, you know, we just got to put uh, some finishing touches on the tool, and then we'll push it out there. Maybe today, or t- uh, not today, but maybe tomorrow. I don't oh, know. so far already then. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. This is not just vaporware. This is something real. Wow. Oh yeah, Wonderful. it works. We just need to, to clean some things up. It's pretty cool though. I think you guys are going to like it. And it's a little different, you know. It's it's not like core to Laravel, so it's something that's also part of your workflow that that's going to simplify things a lot. So something I can extend. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Secret secrets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wish I didn't have to keep it a secret, but I just want to final get the final details straight before we talk about it, so I don't yeah better than under promise misinformation. Yeah. Actually, though, on that note, like what I, what I would say is is working with Taylor on this, like. I learned a lot about you, Taylor, like the behind the scenes when we were just talking, the amount of time we spent just focusing on naming was it was probably more time than it actually took to build the tool. And you realize, oh, yeah. like the fact that Laravel feels so it's so intuitive. You know, everyone says that when they come over, it just feels natural. That's not something that comes in five seconds. Like in a, I would imagine a massive amount of thought goes into how can this just be as readable and natural as possible? And that takes a lot of time. We we put a lot of work into this, and you probably yeah. would never know it if you tried it out. I would say, I, you know, that one night, especially where we were trying to come up with the API, I would say I stared at my monitor for like a solid four or five hours. Yeah, I mean, just, we went through hundreds of ideas, really bad ones and really good ones too. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, we put a lot of thought into the naming for sure. Yeah, I would say that one of the biggest changes between like me as a programmer now and me as a programmer like three years ago is three years ago I would sit down and spike out functionality and then I would get it working and then I would kind of clean it up a little bit. Whereas now I do spend a lot more time up front thinking, okay, what is this really? Because, you know, coming up with a name is not just something that gives you a clear API, right? It's also something that determines how you think about it. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. you could name something something that makes a lot of sense, but since it's ever so slightly in some small nuanced way incorrect can lead you to the wrong assumptions later or something along those lines could could really make you uh implement something in a in a stranger way than if it, you know, had a name that actually represented what it was doing. Right. Yeah, naming can be hard. It's pretty tough. But even from terms of like a, a branding point of view, the amount of time that goes into that, because it's like uh, other people could have built the exact same tool, but it would have felt very different because they're not really thinking as much about the, um, I don't know. It's, it's almost kind of like the, the Apple philosophy. Like, how does this feel when you use it? I know that's really cheesy, but I think that really does factor into it a lot. So when you think, like, how is it going to feel when I when I create a new file and I type this in? Does that feel right? And it's very nuanced, but it makes a huge difference compared to maybe what you see other people doing who don't think about it quite as much. Yeah. On a slightly different note, did you guys see Everset's blog post about how he uses BHAT to drive uh, BDD at the domain level? I did. Yeah, I did, I did see that. I actually talked to him about it a, f- a few months ago. We've been meaning to do um, a collaboration, actually, at Laracast that kind of covers that full process. I haven't gotten around to it just yet, but, yeah, it's very intriguing. That would be really cool, actually, a Laracast uh, constantine collaboration. Yeah, yeah, it would be very cool. 
Sean, you said that you're actually working on that very thing for your own projects right now. Yeah, uh, I actually was lucky enough to have Constantine kind of show me his BDD workflow because at the time, uh, it was the Laracon EU time period. At that time, we were really super gung-ho into BDD because, you know, BDD has like three major pillars. There's the acceptance test-driven uh, development, right, where you lead with your acceptance testing, and then there's the domain-driven design, the model-first uh, approach, and then there's the test-driven development aspect. So those three things kind of go together to create BDD, and... So I was like, okay, so what happens? How do you handle this thing? And he's like, oh, okay, let me show you. So he pops open his laptop, and he, he sits down and says, okay, what problem are we solving? And he kept going back and forth with me with questions to try to figure out this problem so that he could you know, write the, the good, good language for it. And after, you know, a good while of trying to figure out the good language for the feature file, we had a feature that was said, you know, as a, you know, it, we just use like mom eat mom as an example. As a mom, I went to blah, 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 so that I can, you know, the normal gherkin type stuff. And then he created a new context. Uh, and in that, he led the development of the domain. So he's working directly with domain objects. And so he's, he, he starts to write the code. And when that fails, he goes over to PHP spec and does TDD on the actual classes until he, till those pass and then he's back to behat and blah 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 so it was really kind of a cool process because what i'd never even considered was that one problem with leading with acceptance tests is that often acceptance tests are considered to be like end-to-end -end tests where you, you know you use a web right. browser uh driver but you you never really have your ui first right you, you never have like the form to click and stuff you're you're kind of just working in the domain first and then eventually you have the ui that that tends to be how it goes and so what he did is he he had a context file that drove the development of the domain but then he created another context file that did use the same feature that drove the domain development but for end to end tests and that's something that bhat3 is like basically like the only BDD tool that I know of that does that. I, I started on a project with Python and I looked at all the popular BDD um, tools and, and nobody seemed to be able to have multiple contexts run against the same feature file like, like BHAT3 does. No, that's brand new. And BHAT2, it didn't even exist. Right. So that would have been impossible. And it's not in Cucumber or anything. So I, I don't even know. I, th I, I could be wrong here, but it seems like PHP has like the best BDD tools. I could be wrong. It's pretty cool. Dude, PHP so, has good tools, man. Like, it's getting pretty good. So, so, like, to clarify, the idea is imagine that you have, like, a feature of what you need to do. Well, traditionally, that would be an acceptance test, like, like Sean was just saying. But then you have that part where it's like, all right, I have to build this up, and that takes so long. So what if instead you could have one feature but multiple contexts where you implement that? So in one case, you do implement it from a UI point of view, but then you could have another context where you implement it more from the domain angle, and both of those will fire. So that's something that we couldn't really do before if I have three. It's very cool. I haven't played around with it too much, but it's very intriguing. And the purpose is not to have multiple layers of tests covering your, your butt, right? The purpose is more like, okay, we have this business language has been formalized into the feature. Let's get that business language into the domain. Right. So it's, it's like Constantine mentioned in his talk at Laracon EU. Uh, in a lot of ways, th there's a philosophy that's like, it's not really about where you end up. It's about how you get there. 
And BDD really has a lot of that, that feeling. So let's work with the business to figure out over time, you know, like how this should be, how this application should be built. Instead of thinking, okay, we need this functionality. Okay. Traditionally to do that, I would pop up these models. I would create a controller that has the plural name with the controller suffix. I would need to, you know, throw in this, throw in that and just start building a recipe in your mind of how to get from point A to point B. Instead, it's more like, how can I most directly use this language to drive the development? And then you end up with maybe an, um, like an object graph that you didn't expect because, you know, you're not coding out of a recipe in your head anymore. You're coding against a pre-approved by the business feature. That's cool. That sounds really hand wavy, doesn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, what, you just got to see it. Uh, you know, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to articulate some of these things, but that was a cool article. Yeah. So I'll, I'll link the article in the, in the website. So just go to Laravel.io and click podcast and you'll, you'll see the, the link there if you're interested in reading that article. On that topic, I've been reading that, um, growing object oriented software guided by test book that Constantine recommended in it at his Laracon EU talk. And that, that phrase you said about is not necessarily about the end result, but about how you get there. They, they use that quite a bit in that book. Um, when they discuss design and of course they're, they're, they're big on acceptance tests and, and all that and, and kind of having this, um, these multiple layers of tests, I guess you could say. Um, and that's been a really good book. So, um, you know, if you're interested in this, that kind of thing, I would definitely recommend picking up that book. It's, um, again, it's growing object oriented software guided by tests. So do you guys read a lot of books like that? I have tons. It, it's, it's hard. Like those books, I don't know. You guys may be different, but for me, I can't just take it all in. Like it's not when you're when you're a beginner, you can just go from chapter one all the way through a book. Like uh, one of the first PHP books I read was like PHP Solutions, and you can kind of just work through it, you know. With these books, it's like you go through a chapter and you just have to let it digest a little bit, and then you have to go through it again, and then you just pick some other chapter. Like it's a very long process for me it'll take me a year to go through these books especially like some of the ddd ones both of them really i can't just go through it like i need it has to sit by my bed and i have to like pick it up and take in a little more each time because it's i mean it's high level stuff you really need to focus and think about think about it i feel like blog posts have replaced a lot of book reading for me lately I am reading the Growing Object Oriented Software book. I am reading that cover to cover, and I'm about halfway through it. But a lot of my more technical reading seems to come more from blog posts now than um, books. For me, I'm kind of in in like Jeffrey's camp where I, I find these books. And so PHP Solutions or, or a book on PHP 6 <laughs> or, or something like that, these, these books you can read and you can go through. But I feel like they almost have – so much less value, and maybe that's just me speaking. So take, you know, obviously this is my my two cents. But it feels like these time, these more timeless books, like the the DDD book, um, patterns of object oriented, um, patterns of enterprise application architecture, the Goose book. Um, these things I think have a lot more legs. They're not really about tools. They're about general Problems. knowledge and concepts, right? And so I, I think that what happens for me is I read a couple chapters and then I feel like, okay, 
I'm going to put this down now, and then I'll pick up a different book, and I'll read a couple chapters. And so I'm reading at any point in time like three or four books. But I try to make it so I have, you know, optimally like an hour a day to work on whatever book I'm doing, but that's not necessarily realistic. Uh, but I do find that I'm reading a bunch of books at a, at a time, and then I go back. And so what I, what I was doing with the blue book, the domain-driven design, is I got halfway into it, and it has this massive case study right in the center. So I stopped and I said, okay, I've learned a lot, but I'm sure that there is an, probably twice as much that I learned that just kind of went over my head that I didn't even consider picking up because I just didn't know enough. So I sat down and I just created an exercise where I model a domain. It was a domain that somebody else came up with. And I interacted with them as if they were the domain expert and I really tried to do, um, do it, you know, by the book. And then I, I felt like I could get enough, I had enough knowledge from you know, implementing this domain that I could go back and read more of the book. So, so that really worked for me. Um, but actually just the other day, somebody asked me about, you know, books that, that I might recommend. And so I, I figure maybe if we take a minute and recommend a couple books that might be helpful to some people. First, I'm going to say that I think the clean coder by Uncle Bob is really very important, especially yeah. in the world of PHP. Um, because it's not about programming at all. It's about being a programmer. And we don't really get that focus much. And I think that it helps to clarify what our roles are. And, you know, it, it talks about things like how to say no, when to say no, what it means when you say I'll try versus no versus yes. You know, like what, what do these things really mean? And, and, and so I think it goes over a lot of really important concepts. Have any of you read that book? Yeah, it's a great book. And that, and that one, I feel like you can get into that one. Like it's, it's not, as much like an encyclopedia the way the blue DVD book might be, like you can get into that one. I, I learned a huge amount from that one. Of course, ones like um, Pragmatic Programmer. Um, in terms of the higher level ones we were just talking about, both DVD books, and there's really just like two. They're hard stuff, but like get them and just work through them. Um, there's, I'm looking through my Amazon purchase list. What's the advantage of reading those DVD books? Just makes you think. For me, like even if I think that's the advantage to all of the learning. Like I, I have this this recommendation at Laracast where I say like even if you don't understand what I'm doing, it's over your head. Keep watching because you're gonna pick up something, even if it's just like um, formatting or some method you didn't know about. Like you're gonna pick up something, and then if you go back six months later and watch it again, you're gonna pick up something totally different. You know what it's like now that I think about it? It's those movies that you watch from a kid as a kid that you love and then you go back and watch them as an adult and you find out that there's all these like dirty references in the movie that you <laughs> never picked up it's like you're appreciating it from a totally different angle than the way you did before and it's sort of maybe not really at all but it's sort of like that at least for me i go back and read things like multiple times and i'm able to extract different things than i was initially the one i'm working through right now i've been working through it for like a year is uh patterns of enterprise or Enterprise Application Architecture, I think it is. But yeah, I mean, that's like a hoss. It's really difficult stuff. It's in Java, so you're having to translate it to something that you're more uh, comfortable with. But every time I kind of go through it and read a chapter, I'm able to get a little bit more than I was before. So good stuff. A very nuts and bolts type of a book is that um, Code Complete by McConnell, which is like encyclopedic in size, but covers tons of topics. That's a very like practical uh, programming book. There's also a great one. 
what is it? it Sean, you know this book. It's the one by Sandy Metz for Ruby. It's Pooter. something like object-oriented. Yeah, Pooter. what is that? Practical object-oriented Practical. design in Ruby. Or with <laughs> yeah, I read Pooter. that one, I guess, a couple years ago. That's an excellent book. My only criticism is, like, she sticks with this common example throughout the whole book, and it's something like um, some business where you have bikers or something, and they yeah. have to make trips and gears. She uses that example through the entire book, when I wish she would have used a lot of other things, because I feel like that's when you really learn is like, OK, we've covered this example. Now let's do something totally different and see if you can still make the same connections. But that being said, it's a wonderful book. I would highly recommend it to anyone. And Ruby is so readable. Like if you don't do Ruby, it's OK. You will still figure out what's going on there. I would say even more than a PHP developer reading a Java book, you'd be able to understand maybe a Ruby book a little bit better because it's so intuitive. Yeah, and the, I, I understand what you're saying about the bike example. I completely agree that to me, I, like, I just got kind of bored of it, and maybe yeah. that, that's my problem. It's just that when I'm bored, I'm not learning as well. But at the same time, that book is very short, very quick to work through, and that book was instrumental in me picking up testing. So when I was first learning how to do testing, that book and a couple other ones kind of got me where I needed to be in order to actually make it happen so that I could learn from my own experiences. That book was very important for me. Absolutely. And what's nice is like Sandy is a teacher. You know, she's a developer, but also she has the heart of a teacher. And that sounds cheesy, but it's it's like very true. You can be a excellent developer, but if you just don't know how to teach people, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't translate over at all. I've seen it like when I worked at Envato hundreds of times. These guys who I who I felt were like masters in their industry would write articles that were so like it's like, were you even trying to teach these people? And there's even articles written about this where it's like you you get so much knowledge that you're not capable of going back to when you didn't have that knowledge. Anyways, there's some really interesting reading on this subject. But, yeah, at least with Sandy, like she has the heart of a teacher, so she can she can help anyone. She even does like lots of stuff around the globe, like um, workshops and things like that. Yeah, I've always I think she's to to doing one with Katrina Owen or something like right now. Um, yeah. yeah, when I finished that book, I went and watched basically every single Sandy Metz video on YouTube. <laughs> I do that. Like, I binge an author. You know, I, I like read a book and then I just consume everything they ever pro- have provided. <laughs> nice. It is interesting, though, like the older or the, the more seasoned you get in your career, it's like the older the books you need to read. I always joke about this. It's like every year that you're a developer, the the release date of the books you read should be like two years older or something. Because when you're first getting started, it's you're getting the new stuff. You're getting the latest PHP book or the latest uh, book on MySQL or whatever. But then, like, you're getting more and more seasoned, and you're more interested in like problems and and how to approach architecture and things like that. So then, suddenly, you're reading books from 1990. You know, things that you would never have considered when you were at year one. Is suddenly that's all you read. Like, I, I'm trying to think the last really modern recently released book i went through it's probably this one by sandy so i guess that says a lot for it so yeah i guess for me if somebody were to say i don't really read development books and i'm not really sure what to do or like what to learn next or because i i really identify with that feeling i think that i would start with like the clean coder and then either kind of reference through the book clean code by the same dude uncle bob or watch his video series on cleancoders.com 
which I think are really good. Although I got to this point with like episode 19 or something, 21 or something like that, where it was just insane. Like I just, I just couldn't even handle it anymore. Um, there's just some, like so many crazy characters and voices and stuff like that, but the content is really good. And so I think if you can get through some of the crazy stuff in the later episodes, it really works. The early episodes are a lot more sane. So, I mean, Watch them in early episodes and remember that I said that and you'll get an idea of how crazy it gets. It is. Like, he does seem to overdo it. Like, I have to believe he's thought this through and, and maybe it's something like you have to hold people's attention or they, they wander off. So, like, keep doing crazy stuff so you keep them watching. Maybe, but yeah, like, I've learned so much from him. But at the same time, it's like to go through one of those videos, it is an hour of very intense investment. And you could probably cut out the first 20 minutes because he does this thing where he'll give you something completely unrelated or seemingly unrelated. Like he'll talk about space for 25 minutes and then he'll come over and there's some connection, but I have trouble drawing it. But yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what I'm trying to say. It's good <laughs> stuff. Work through the videos, but yeah, be prepared for, for some strange feelings. I really think it's a worthwhile investment, especially if you didn't have like real schooling, like real education on, on this stuff. I think that there's the thing that helped me the most in the past couple of years was realizing that I needed to go back to the basics and really work on fundamentals. And that really changed the way I think and do everything now. I, I think it's a huge investment or not a huge investment, a huge benefit to kind of go back to the fundamentals and, and recreate the platform that all of your knowledge kind of builds upon even like basic oop like i think the first time we all learn oop you don't really learn it you just learn like oh here's how you create it and then throw your procedural stuff in there you know and then that's how you call methods and that's kind of at least for me that was like my first introduction to it and then you go back and you start learning more like no this is more about the messages that these objects send to one another that's kind of the important thing here but when i was first learning it i wasn't thinking about that even remotely it was really just, here's how the procedural code turns into object-oriented code, and that's not really what it's about. Yeah, the acronym OOP has become almost as useless as MVC. Exactly. Well, it, it's funny because the the whole PHP community is kind of changing its way it looks at stuff. And I don't know about the whole PHP community. I guess I'm not in touch with the whole PHP community. But I'm watching um, a lot of you know the Symphony guys and a lot of the Laravel people um, talking about uh, they're kind of all sharing perspectives now and sharing ideas and mixing them together. And it's, it's a very different place than it was, you know, like five years ago. Extremely different. Oh, massively different. What I'm curious about is, for example, the, the WordPress community is massive. I haven't been part of that in probably five or six years at this point. I wonder what that looks like now. Like back then, I mean... It was pretty rough, guys. Like, not not to be mean, but it was pretty rough stuff. I, I'm sure it's advanced it's advanced immensely since then, but I'm still curious what that looks like these days. Do either of you know? Do you have any connection to that world? No idea. None? I have really no idea. I mean, I know, you know, in terms of CMS, go, as far as CMS goes, that Drupal has been making a big effort to um, modernize their code base around Symfony components. But as far as WordPress goes, yeah, I have no idea. I know I use it for my blog and that it works. But as far as under the hood goes, I have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. I was talking on Twitter about something that it seems very dogmatic where, you know, it's like when you don't have tests, then, and it sounds just the same thing you've always heard. Like not having tests means that your code becomes more expensive to work with and everything. And somebody says, well, 
yeah, try writing Drupal plugins that are tested. And I'm thinking, I really, I, I really don't know anything about that, but I, I think that, <laughs> that we need to kind of be aware that there are, you know, situations. Cause I, I make apps that, you know, you go to, you log in, you interact with stuff, you send messages to other people, um, you know, you're updating the database, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm, I'm not thinking at all about what it's like to, to do so many of these other types of jobs that the programmers do. So I would like to find somebody who has more insight into this and kind of talk to them about what, what it's like to be a developer who's not building these enterprise apps. Yeah, yeah that would be, be a really good guest on the podcast. Yeah, that would, we should we should get like a uh, you know a seasoned WordPress developer or something like that. Call for cast <laughs> members. We need a seasoned WordPress developer for podcasts. It'd be nice if we could find someone that's you know a seasoned WordPress developer, but that also has at least dabbled in something like Laravel or Symphony or Zend or something like that. I think I know exactly who. Like from from my old job, I made a lot of um, good friendships. I know a guy. He's he's into WordPress, but he's also into like making WordPress modern. And how do you hook in Composer to that? And what does using something like PSR or auto loading look like within the context of a WordPress theme? So he might be a good fit. And he's done lots of videos and stuff. So he might be um, a good one to have on. I'll I'll see about contacting him. Because yeah, I'd love to see the way. The ecosystem looks at this point. When I was using it, the whole idea of like testing WordPress, no, like it, it wasn't going to happen. Beyond like simple unit testing of a class, if you wanted to do anything else, it was a bit of a nightmare. And I know they've made big strides since then, but I'm curious how far when compared to just the general PHP community and especially like the Laravel and Symphony worlds, how much we've learned and gotten better over the last four years. I wonder how that translates over. And, and this is completely like unrelated, but it, you know, it struck me as you were talking that when we first started testing, it was pretty difficult. And coworker of mine, Nick, went back and like modernized the testing tools that we used on um, an app where we were kind of getting a grasp on testing. And yeah, the tests work, and they told us if things broke. But uh, he he kind of hooked up Faker so that we could just create new users on the fly and did all these things. And now I can write a, an acceptance test in like no time at all, like with like Codeception, for example. Um, you know, new projects we're using Behat because we're kind of a little bit more of a language driven approach. But I think Codeception is you know still a good tool. And and uh, by by knowing kind of what you're doing, like what you need to do in order to to do these tests, you can really kind of build yourself a little bit of an infrastructure to make it just fly. Just come together so fast and easy. Oh, yeah, because if it's too hard, I mean, we have history to show us if it's too difficult to prepare a test, you're just not going to do it at all. But if it is that difficult, then usually it's a good sign that you're missing something. If it's that, you know, if you're having to do seven different mocks just to get through a test, yeah, you're probably missing something. Well, I think this is... Um a lot of good information about Laravel 5, and I'm, I'm really excited to see it where it goes. And I hope that some of the people who might be a little bit hesitant uh, download it and give it a try and, and see how they feel. You know, if they, you know, you don't have to agree with everything that Laravel does. And that's great and fine. But some of the hesitations may come from the fact that, you know, there's like a couple different paradigms at play. And, and maybe with playing a little bit, you might, you might think it's, you know, your cup of tea after all. That, that's what I'm finding personally. Uh, when, you know, using Doctrine, for example, and using a lot of interesting annotation, a lot of interesting ways to use annotations, I, I, it kind of changed the way I think or thought about these kind of tools. So uh, I think maybe if, you know, you give it a shot, you might like it. Or at the very least, give it a few minutes before you immediately reject it. You know, a lot of thought went into some of this stuff. So before you just immediately want to leave a comment and, and trash it, Give it a few minutes and, and try it out first. 
But also on that note, like if you are going to try it out, remember Laravel 5 isn't out yet. So I've been seeing that and I think maybe Laric has contributed to this a little bit, which, which I apologize for. But a lot of people will want to play around with Laravel 5 and they do an update and maybe it breaks and they complain. But it's like, remember, we're not really even to a beta yet. So it's still very much in, de- in development, at least for the next yeah. few weeks or a month. So just yeah. as long as you know that, have fun, dig in, but it's still in development quite a bit. And that's exaggerated this week, especially because I'm working on it every day, all day. So it seems like things are really flying around this week quite a bit. Well, I think that we're basically at time now. I want to thank you both again for for coming on and also for working on your secret your secret file watcher project. Uh, so much more than that. <laughs> Don't undersell it. It's, <laughs> it's more than just file watching. I'm excited. Yeah, it's it's cool. Uh, hopefully, we can uh, show something about it tomorrow. I'll have to get with Jeffrey. Yeah, so, we have a few things to iron out together. So if you're listening to this, it you may already be able to go out and check it out. Nice. All right. Well, I, I'll All talk right. to you guys soon. All right. Thanks. Thank yeah. you, guys. Bye. See you later.